Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if you're watching by video, my, my guest and my, my dear friend, Al Robertson, and I have a little friendly wager. Now, I told Al, if the LSU Tigers, his beloved LSU Tigers, reached the national championship game, I would uh, procure an LSU hat. And so I've got my unashamed with Phil Robertson podcast sweatshirt on, my LSU hat. My man is rocking his Marshall hat that I sent him down. So the only guy in Louisiana likely that has a Marshall University hat is my guest, Al Robertson. He is a co-host of the Unashamed podcast, the author of the book that you see behind me, Desperate Forgiveness. Other resources, you can find him on Twitter at Beardless Pro, but you can find him right now here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. How Al, how are you today, my man? I'm doing good, bud. How about you? You are lo- you are looking like you're dressed for success. You've never looked better. Well, you know, my, my <clears throat> man Joe Burrow got drafted by my beloved Cincinnati Bengals. That's right. And, you know, this is, you know, as a Bengals fan, and I told you all last fall, the trick was to bungle for Burrow, and they did that successfully going 2-14. and 14. <laughs> Yep. And so, you know, it's a new day in Cincinnati as a Bengals fan, and so – you know, why not every day? The only thing that would have been better is if Thad Moss, who played tight end at LSU, whose father, Randy, we got to see play at my alma mater, Marshall University, would have joined the Bengals. That would have been a great day. But, uh, yeah. Well, maybe, a, <coughs> maybe they'll get him <coughs> at some point. Well, was, well, he he's going to end up with the Redskins. But it was an honor to get this LSU hat because they had a season for the ages. And I saw him one of your – your recent podcast, you were rocking a version of this lid, but it had a, a yellow goat yep. and it had a number, it looked like a number nine inside the goat there. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, it's funny because that's changed. You know, now in sports, goat is a good term. You know, back in, right. you know, we're a little bit older. I mean, when I was a, a young person, like Bill Buckner was a goat because he, he yep. booted that ball that cost the Red Sox the World Series. And so now, Goat, of course, greatest of all times. So it took me a while to transition. But anybody young, when you say, you know, LeBron is the goat or, you know, Jordan is the goat, which is the big yeah. debate, you know, now with this thing on ESPN, it's the same with uh, with Burrow. So when I saw that hat, I, my daughter actually had found it somewhere. I was like, I need six of those tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I gave them out as gifts. Well, and I told you, you know, Joe Burrow doesn't doesn't live his parents don't live far from here it's about an hour and a half from from where I live and, which is and, so surreal the other night during the draft that you know he's just there at his parents I mean it was such a you know such a weird deal because there's always such a big fanfare with the NFL and it was so downplayed because of the virus but it just I don't know it seemed to fit him he's the same no matter what whether he's you know except in the husband or getting drafted he just has that same you know sort of demeanor and quality. I mean, I, I've really grown to appreciate him just as a young man, as well as obviously what he does on the football field, but he seems to always say the right things in those moments, you know, just as a person. So, um, 
I, we love him. I mean, he is an adopted Louisiana uh, yeah. for, you know, for LSU fans for sure. Well, he was rocking the 740 sweat sweatshirt. And I love that because that's the area code of Southeastern Ohio. That's the area <laughs> code that I had growing up in Southeastern Ohio. That's the same area code he had. And, yep. and he really, what, what is going to be really good for him in Cincinnati is the fact that there is a route 32, it's called the Appalachian highway. And you, it's about 10 minutes from the borough's house and you can jump on that thing and it's a straight shot to the greater Cincinnati area. So when he said, you know, yeah, I can be home for dinner with my mom and dad, he wasn't kidding. And right. I think it's going to be a real shot in the arm for the, not only the Bengals, but Southeastern Ohio to have a guy from that area be your franchise quarterback. Right. I think you're right. And, you know, I mean, seriously, I really hope that – because I don't know how – I didn't watch the Bengals much, obviously, last year. But, you know, I just – I've been hoping that, you know, he doesn't get hurt or, you know, I'm hoping they have a – you know, because, you know, young quarterbacks come in yeah. and they've got that next step to be able to go at that level is tough anyway. And so, man, the, the NFL, things are happening so fast. So, oh, yeah. You oh, know, yeah. he's tough, but, I mean, you know, the NFL is tough on tough people, so we'll see. How, how do you as an LSU fan, how, how do you bring your, your, your thinking back to reality? And I don't say that facetiously because, <laughs> let's face it, they had 15 guys drafted off of that national championship team in the NFL. Yep. You, you lose that much talent. A, a program like LSU, yeah, a national championship – you're going to get a lot of those great recruits and things like that. But how do you move forward from that season and go, man, we won a national championship last year. You know, it's pretty hard to top that. What, what are LSU fans' expectations going into this year? You know, it's hard to speak for everybody, obviously, because <clears throat> people view it differently. But I think most people are like me. So what happens is a season like this, which was so magical and – unusual i mean to like to to beat so many i forget how many top 10 wins we had it was just something stupid like more than anybody's ever done when then you beat the then you beat the two best teams in the country in the exactly right so what happens is it was so special that i think you realize it can't be matched so so going into the next season it's so much on its own pedestal that I think, you know, you you realize there's no way we're going to do – nope, we may never do that again where you just had such domination and such a season. So, a lot of it is how you win it. You know, you could win – you remember when Ohio State won the national championship uh, under Urban Meyer. It it sort of looked like they barely got in, and then all of a – and the quarterbacks hurt, and then all of a sudden this freshman kid just rallies them through the playoffs and they win, and everybody was really kind of surprised. Probably even so were they. And so that's that's a whole different situation because now your expectation is so high because we did it with this freshman kid and all that. So how you win it too, and I think the circumstances around it sort of matter. And so I really think LSU fans, it's just, it's its own thing. Like me, I'm not even, like I'll read a little bit on our our Danny Don, which is kind of our recruiting guy because we always keep up with the next, what's going on next. But I don't know, maybe it's the virus too, but we're, everybody's still just in the glow of the, you know, we're still, oh, this yeah. was amazing, you know? So yeah. I don't think too many people are even looking at it. It's kind of a weird, I've never had a feeling quite like this, you know? It was just so special. Well, and, and again, too, you know, the way they did it was, I mean, 
they just beat the daylights out of really good teams. You you just you, you're sitting there going, how is this possible? They're beating these teams that badly. And I think for Bengals fans, that's you know how great Joe Burrow looked in two games, especially in the two games where everybody was watching, not just LSU fans or not just SEC fans, but everybody was watching. It was like a no-brainer. The the coolest thing to me though was the the last time LSU had an, a Heisman Trophy winner was 60 years ago with, right. Billy, with Billy Cannon and how his family, you know, because a lot of times, Al, and, and you know this with the family dynamic that you're in, a lot of times that families want to hold on to being the only one in the history of a school that's ever done something. You know, and, and Billy Cannon to this <laughs> day is still a legendary figure in LSU history. But his family embraced the fact that Joe Burrow was going to win the Heisman, and they were very gracious about it. Just unfortunate that Billy Cannon couldn't have, have been alive to see, you know, because I think he passed in, eight, in what, 2017 or 2018? Well, you know, <clears throat> I, I think – I'm not 100% sure I'm right about this, but I think he passed away on the day that Burrow decided to come to LSU. Oh wow! I think that's I think that's correct. It was it was a weird coincidence that went back to the day he died, and I, I'm pretty sure that was the day because you know Burrow was with us the year before, and you know I don't know I've I've thought a lot about it. I mean I, I mean arguably it's the best year a quarterback has ever had. Certainly the numbers are there. It's just the whole season. Yeah. I would compare it to Cam Newton's what was that 10 2010 season. Yeah. Um, you know Newton was like that. He was unstoppable. But it, but with his case, it was more just kind of like, and also the guy from Texas that year. But it was almost like, <clears throat> you know, he was just running over people, and you know. But just in terms of pure quarterbacking, I mean, there's nobody's ever seen anything quite like this. And and like you said, to have a team on offense that you just you knew nobody could stop. You know, it was it was yeah. it was almost, the only the only game that we didn't just you know run roughshod was the Auburn game. And, you know, I mean, there are some reasons why, I think, because Auburn has some really good interior defensive linemen, and we had a couple of offensive linemen hurt. But, you know, still, it was just amazing to watch. So, it's uh, it's it's one of those where you always – it's like my 88 Dodger year, yep. which, unfortunately, I'm hanging on to now yep. 30 years later. Well, 1990 just, Cincinnati Reds, you know. <laughs> there you go. You just have to look back and think, oh, man. So, I'll, I'll watch footage. In fact, they were just running the – some of those games online, you could watch the whole 88 World Series again. And so uh, I called a couple of them, which was fun. I, I follow some people, some like true blues from L.A., and so they were replaying the games, which was fun for me. You, you, you know? do realize that the 88 <clears throat> season was was the year that, that Tom Browning threw a perfect game against the Dodgers. I did not realize that. That was the 88 season. It was September. I'm not surprised because our offense was really not very good that year. I mean, well, it was Kirk Gibson and and, and, eight and, other, and the rest. And other guys, yeah. That's exactly right. And even his numbers, you know, he won the MVP that year. Um, but he, like, he had, like, 25 dingers. But I, I think he only batted, like, you know, 290 with 25 homers and, and didn't even have 100 RBIs, I don't think. Of course, then he was hurt, you know, for yeah. the whole, you know, most of the playoffs. So, it was a weird year that Hershiser, you know, just carried the whole thing. So, it was, again, it was one of those things that you looked back and you think it was a moment in time, it could, you know, 59 straight scoreless innings. I mean, it was just, it was fun. And, and again, that's, you know, that's <laughs> what we're missing at the time we're recording this. We're in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and, 
that's what we're missing right now. And, and sports is a, a big fabric of America. As, and, and, you know, to some degree, Al, it's like religion in some parts of the country. You, you've got your, your church and then your, your football team. And it's one and one A in, in a lot of places, and especially where you live in Louisiana. You know, I'm sure a lot of people are going, man, miss the LSU spring game. You know, here here in, in, in the, the Huntington, West Virginia area, well, we missed the Marshall spring game. We missed March Madness. Opening day got pushed back. I mean, there's a lot of things changing. Um, I, I think this is going to really change how we do things. What do you see long-term? Where do you think some things will shake out as far as where this thing ends up? Well, you know, I mean, the talk is that they're going to play games, you know, without people, which again, I mean, you know, that'll be something good in the sense of sort of like the draft. The other day, I mean, there's something to watch, but it's, you know, let's off, let's face it. It's not the same. And especially when you're talking about college football, I mean, the atmosphere is everything. And so, you know, in, in for, for LSU and even watching the games, I mean, Tiger Stadium is a part of it, you know. So, <clears throat> I hadn't been to a game. <clears throat> I hadn't been well, to you, a game. Well, you, you and Jace, your brother Jace, went to the, to the Texas game, the LSU-Texas yeah, game. Yeah, that's right. I hadn't been to a home game uh, in three or four years and uh, just because of, you know, being busy. But uh, we did go to the game at Austin last year, which was great. So, I did get to see them. And, and that really kind of was the turning point game, I think, for Burrow when they pull that out. But, you know, it's just not the same with that. I mean, I think the pros will be a little more, you know, you know, palatable to watch without it in terms of just made for TV. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's uh, – there's so many so many question marks about it. And I get it. I mean, I understand the a lot of the thinking behind it. But at the same time, of course, you're talking about these big cities, you know, which who knows? I mean, New York and New Jersey and those areas, who knows, you know, when you're going to be – you know, sort of back online. So no, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, you know. <clears throat> your story is so interesting. And I, I think a lot of people that, that know you and your family don't really know your story. I know it because, you know, of our friendship over the, over the years. And you've written about it. You and Le your wife, Lisa, have written about it in a couple of books. One of the books behind me, Desperate Forgiveness. I highly recommend you go pick it up. But your story is so interesting because – People look at you you now and look at your family dynamic now, and it's not the way it always has been. Kind of go back and share a little bit of your story. You were, you were that kid at 18 years old that was ready to spread his wings and, and basically sow his wild oats. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> and for me, it actually started probably about 14 years old. And I was thinking about it because I have a, my granddaughter, <clears throat> my oldest granddaughter now, about a little sinus issue today, Brian. Hey, man, me and me and you both. I've been fighting. I've been fighting allergies. <laughs> it's been bad, and now. I don't know if you could hear it on the audio, but the so we're working on my our pool out back, and so they're doing all these concrete work, and so there's concrete dust just everywhere, and so the guys out here with a blower just while we're even here talking. So that's not really doing me a lot of good. Hey, don't but, feel bad. I had to go hire somebody to, to attach the wire to the pole so we could have some internet for this conversation. Because <laughs> well, we do pretty, live in West Virginia. You know? I was just saying that, you know, West, <laughs> you, got, you got to watch in West Virginia. I heard about somebody going and, and uh, taking jumper cables and trying to hook them to the power line to, you know, jump their car off. So I, <laughs> there's some real beauties there. I'm like telling you, 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 you're liable, you know, 
who knows what you're going to see up here, man. It, you know. But anyway, so, yeah, uh, my granddaughter's 14. And, you know, just, you know, she just got baptized uh, this year. Yep. And so I'm just watching her, you know, become a teenager. And, and so she, she and me are buddies. And so she's wanting to be down there every night. And they play spicy Uno and all the, you know, she's just, all of a sudden it's like, I want to be with teens. And you know how that goes. And so it's sort of taking me back. And of course it made, it's making me pray more for it because that was about the time I went off the rails. You know, it's, it's all at, at that age, you know, as you're kind of becoming an adult or at least the mindset is beginning as a teenager, you're sort of then figuring out who I am. And it's so important who's around you in those yeah. moments. And so unfortunately for me, I had surrounded myself with some people in public school and other places that weren't great. And so it just kind of started a slide. And, even we were going to church I and mean, my mom and dad were new Christians. But in my case, you know, it's like I always say bad kids in the youth group, if there's a couple of bad ones, they're going to find each other that first, you know, that first yep. Sunday. And then yep. they're going to hang out and then make fun of everybody, all the Holy Rollers. So that's kind of was the process that started for me. And it was, you know, at first it wasn't anything super bad because you're young, you can't get into too much trouble. But as that mindset sets in, that's when the trouble started for me. So by the time I could have some freedom and was out there on my own, I was young. I went to school. <clears throat> we started, we were in Arkansas. And I don't know. I, I joke about it now that I guess in Arkansas, you can start school whenever you want to. Cause I was like four uh, when I started <laughs> school. So, I mean, I don't know how that happened. Mom and dad were both teachers. You've never then. forgiven Arkansas for that. Have you? Well, you know, Arkansas. <laughs> I will say this about Arkansas. I, Cause I make fun of them all the time. But they have managed this coronavirus pretty well. You know, they, they, them in West Virginia have the fewest cases, and, and they've, they've never done stay at home through the whole process. Well, when you've only got five people in the whole state, I mean, that is true. And, <clears throat> and they're all living in the hills. So I guess that's that exactly right. I know how it works. But anyway, so, you know, I was young. And so I, I was 16 years old. And I was, when I went into my senior year of high school, and, you know, I mean, that's not very mature. And yet I was around other people who were 18. So that seemed like that whole period just kind of led me to more of a surrounding with people I didn't need to be around. And then, and, and then I was that person. I can remember my best friend back then was a big guy named Bubba. And of course, he was a huge guy. I played on the football team at West Monroe. And so I was more of a small guy, you know, so it was kind of Mutt and Jeff. You know, he was the guy yeah. that could, if we got into a scrap, you know, I could always depend on Bubba. And I'll never forget when his mom called my mom, and this was during my senior year. And by now, we're just totally living full-blown sinful life, you know. And, I mean, I'm still making appearances at church and, you know, acting like things are good, but it's all bad. And his mom called my mom and said, you know, I don't think Bubba and Al are good together. You know, I think maybe, you know, Alan's a bad influence on Bubba. And I remember mom telling me that when I was so offended because mm -hmm. I was like, me a bad influence? I mean, like, I still go to church and, you know, our family's great. How could I be a baby? And their family was terrible, but that's how you get Isn't that funny. I mean, yeah, you and I are living the same lifestyle and yet in my self-righteousness, because I had some semblance of religion, I was better than him, you know? Yeah. And so I look back on that, the arrogance, you know, of that and, and just, you know, in shame, I think that's awful. But anyway, so I finally got to the point where things got so bad. I graduated when I was still 16, I finished school. And then like three or four weeks later after that December and January, I turned 17. So I'm only 17. I'm working two or three jobs, making some money, but it's just full blown, 
you know, bad life. And then finally it just pushed to the point where dad just said, oh, you got to go. I mean, or change, you know, he gave me yep. a choice and I just took off, you know, I just like, and at that time, Lisa and I had started dating uh, during that period of time. And uh, you know, so that kind of started our relationship. Of course I left, went to new Orleans, broke her heart. Um, I had, you know, I was Don Juan. I was working at a hospital and yeah, I'm, I'm 17 and I'm telling everybody that I'm, you know, 21 so I can go to bars and stuff like yeah. that. <clears throat> so I had this whole, you know, fake life built up. And, um, and so that lasted about a year and a half until a guy tried to separate my head from the rest of my body with a crowbar because yeah. I was sleeping with his wife, uh, duh. And, uh, who, you know, said that they were separated and they really had only been separated couple of weeks and so you know looking back on it I just realized what a what a travesty you know that my life had become and I was really fortunate I mean New Orleans is a pretty tough place and if you go there and live that sort of life and don't really know how to navigate it you'll wind up just like I did you know yeah. broken and bleeding on the side of the road so that's kind of what got me back on the path to you know I need to go home I need to come back to West Monroe I need to repent and I need to straighten up. And so that's kind of what led me back. And then ultimately led me to Lisa as well. You, you talk about when you and Lisa do appearances and things <laughs> like that, you show a picture of your family in 1970, maybe late 71, 72. 72 yeah. And, and your brother, Willie, your mom's pregnant with your brother, Willie, who born the same year I was, I was born in 72. Yep. You're about six or seven, about six or seven in that picture. Jace is about two in that yep. picture. Yep. And you, and I've heard you say this because I've heard you say this when you're speaking. I show that picture because people look at my family today and they see who we are today. <clears throat> and that's not who we were in February of 1972. Yeah. You look back at that and you see where God's brought you from and, and where where God's brought your family from, are you still, does it still just make you just feel in awe of what's happened or, or are you, what's your emotions like as you continue to see those pictures? Do they change any or do they, do they stay pretty constant? You know, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's funny, Brian, because everybody in our family obviously has a ministry bent um, in a different way. You know, we mm -hmm. all have different ways, you know, we're, everybody has the same goal, you know, to get the gospel preached to people, to see lives change. But we all do it very differently. I mean, dad's, you know, he's just got his straightforward Elijah, John the Baptist. I mean, he's a prophet. Oh, yeah. Talk you know? about a crowbar. I mean, your dad's a crowbar, too. He is a crowbar. That's right. He's, a, <laughs> he's God's crowbar. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that. That's pretty yeah. good. And then Jace is so different. But it, but my role, you know, and, and obviously I've been a pastor most of my life. Yep. But so I'm more pastoral, you know, it's just, it's how I am. But so nobody else really tells the story, which is kind of ironic you brought it up. Cause in other words, everybody else has their way. Like when Willie talks about the family, you know, he sort of picks it up <clears throat> from duck commander to duck dynasty. And that's, you know, his, that's his era of transition. And so he tells people how that happened, how the business started, blah, yep. blah, blah. You know, everybody's got their perspective that they tell. Jace is more, you know, just kind of like dad, but, but different in the, in the gospel and what it's done, you know, what he's seen and how, you know, he's a hunter and how, you know, those principles that go. And so nobody really tells the historical setting of the family. 
And of course, since I think part of it is because Lisa and I went through so much in our own life and marriage and, and such a realization of healing, you know, we, we, yeah. the first 15 years of our marriage was one thing. And then the last 21 have been something totally different. And so <clears throat> I think because of that perspective is what makes me do that. And so before I show the 72 picture, there's kind of a stately picture of the last night we filmed the show. That's the, right. Yeah, that's was, right. It, it was the that. clip, the clip show. And so once we're finished, I mean, they kind of had us all arranged, you know, for camera. So it's, I, I don't know, it just has a look about it. And uh, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. It's 2017 in February and, or April, I can't remember. But anyway, so we're sitting in this sort of semi-circle and it's the whole family. Uh, my kids and grandkids aren't in it, but pretty much everybody else that's been on the show is in it. And you know, when you look at it, it was like, man, that's, that's the Robertsons. That's the family I love. And so I love showing that picture first, you know, and then talking about why people love that family um, and, and, and what it accomplished with the show and blah, blah, blah. And then I love popping that other picture in because it's quite stark, you know, for fans who don't know the story, like you said, or maybe haven't read our books. And so then you, then you catch them up, you know, then, then my process is to go through and say, how did this 72 family become this family? And it's a, a bit I do about dad when I show a picture of him and his, you know, football uniform at Louisiana Tech University in 1964 with the Johnny Unitas haircut and, I mean, clean cut, everybody's all American. Mm -hmm. And then I like showing that duck man picture next to it. And again, it's like, how does, how did that journey happen? Like, you know, what, what how do you become, how do you go from Johnny Unitas to John the Baptist, you know, in, in that look and in this, in this demeanor. So I love like telling the historical part of the family and mainly it's the same reason Lisa and I wrote our books is to show that no situation is hopeless. And so, yeah. Cause I know how many people out there are struggling. I mean, right now my literally my phone is dinging as we're talking with a guy from Alabama that you know, his wife had an affair. Somebody knew about our story. They got him our books. And so he and I are, you know, we text each other pretty much every day. He'll have a question. I'll give him an answer or he'll send me a verse. I'll send him another verse. And so, I mean, this is just constant because yeah. there are people that are in bad situations. And so you try to help as many as you can. You can't help them all because you're just right. a single person, but you try as much as you can because you want people to feel hope in hopeless situations. I think about that verse in Romans 4, uh, I think Romans 4, 17 or 18, 18 I think, uh, where it says, Abraham, uh, against all hope, in hope, believed. Yeah. And I love that because, you know, we've all been in situations where it felt hopeless, you know, so it's That's like, right. I, I feel empty. I, I don't. So I, I love it that, you know, for families maybe that are struggling, I tend to target that part of an audience and say, look, just, you know, hang on another day and let God do what he does. And you never know, you know, you never know the snapshot that could happen you know, from 72 to 2017. So, and, and this was right after your dad, you know, you, you, you go back five years. Um, you're a little guy. You were born in 65 while your dad was playing football at La Tech. Yep. And, and we were talking about the NFL draft. Your dad could have been a professional quarterback. He was the guy in front of, for those that don't know, Terry Bradshaw, the legendary Pittsburgh Steeler quarterback who won four Super Bowls. And Bradshaw's got this quarantine crazy song out now. So he's, yeah. he's, he's kind of riding another wave. But he was Phil Robertson's backup at Louisiana Tech. 
So your life could have been different in another way had your dad decided to pursue professional football because who knows what kind of career he would have had. The Red, I, I think I, I remember hearing something where the Redskins, he had a deal worked out with the Redskins that, that they wanted him to come and play in Washington. So well, he had a that guy, was a great team in the 70s, man. Yeah, he, actually, and it's funny because uh, that was right around the time, you know, Vince Lombardi coached the Redskins for a couple of years at the end of his career. And that yeah, was right 69, around 69, 70. Yeah, that was right around that time. Uh, you know, he had just been there. But there was a guy that played with Dad and Bradshaw uh, named Robert Brunet. And he was kind of a – I guess you'd call him a halfback back in those days, but really fast. And he was from Baton Rouge. And uh, and so he was playing for the Redskins. He was kind of like a kick returner for them. And so he was the one that kind of basically had talked to the management and said, man, you got this guy's amazing. I mean, you, you think Bradshaw something, this guy's even better. And so that was kind of the conversation. As we've looked back on it, you know, we thought what a blessing that he never did probably because if he had ever got into the, that lifestyle with the way he was at that time, because he was yeah. typical Joe Namath you know, in terms yeah. of uh, of the mindset, we that he and mom would have never made it. I mean, our family probably would have been destroyed just because that's a hard life anyway. In fact, when Bradshaw and dad got together a few years ago, they honored him at Tech. Uh, I guess it's been 14, 2014. Yep. And uh, they, uh, it was really interesting because Bradshaw in his personal life has obviously had a hard time. You know, he's had multiple marriages. Yeah. You know, just the, again, the typical thing of an athlete, and a pro, you know, a famous person. And, uh, and he, cause he's a good dude, but you know, it's just, the, it's the life. It's so hard. And so, you know, that's what he told dad. He was like, hey, you still got Miss K. He said, you know, you've, you've done better than me, you know. That's right. He was, and he was telling about his last breakup. He said, Phil, I was just standing there eating a bowl of cereal. She walked in and said, I don't love you anymore. And walked out. He said, can you believe that? Over a bowl of cereal? I'm just having my cereal. You know, and it really made us sad, you know, to yep. hear, you know, how that happened. But, you know, it was interesting. I, I got to see, I don't know if I told you this before, but the assistant athletic director at Alabama, uh, former now he's not there anymore he's retired but uh, he was a big fan of the show and so he sent me a copy of the 1966 LaTeX versus Alabama game and and I knew about the game because mom had kept some clippings and stuff from the well there's some stuff. stuff on YouTube I've seen that game on YouTube yeah and so Stabler Kenny Stabler was the quarterback at Alabama and so he sent me the whole game and it was so great because you know Alabama you know they got to do everything big so most of the footage I've seen from dad's era is like the high yeah you know from the top of the stadium you can't even hardly see the game but they did it in color you know multiple cameras I mean it was wow. really you know it, for that for that era it was pretty impressive but so we watched I took it out to dad's and we watched it together and it was a really great experience because dad hadn't seen that game since he played in that game or yep. probably studied film and so it, it allowed me to see how good he was because he passed for about 200 yards that night against the national championship defense that year yep. and uh so he looked good although he had four picks you know and you think well he had a terrible game but when you watched them all most of them were bounced off somebody's hands or you know, like it, only one probably missed a linebacker in coverage, you know. That, oh, he was throwing darts that game. But you could just tell, darts. you know, Bradshaw talked about how quick his release was. Yeah. He actually compared dad's release to Namath. It reminded me sort of of Marino, like yeah. from my era, of somebody who could get it out of there so quick. And at, so I was like, yep, he could have done it. I mean, he had the arm to be in the NFL, no doubt about it. After watching that game, I was convinced he could have done it. 
My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ who provides intentional encouragement every day through His Word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.